All right, if uh, you want to open up your Bible to Genesis chapter 5, we're going to spend our time there tonight. Uh, If you're just joining us, um, the last two weeks we've started a study called the Hall of Faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, there is listed a great number of individuals who characterize and define and show what it's like to live by trust in God. And we're looking at each of or as many of these individuals as we can uh, for the next few months so that we can learn what it looks like and what it is to live by faith as well. I I thought I'd share this with you before we jump into our person tonight. Um, There are some really bad statues and awards for people um, and Hall of Fames. This is Cristiano Ronaldo, who is the or the second most famous soccer player, most decorated player really ever. Um, He currently plays in Saudi Arabia, but he's played all over the world, won won many awards, many of the greatest player of the year awards, and that's his statue uh, at one place. You can imagine what uh, social media did with this when it came out. I mean, they took this and ran with it, and the jokes are incredible. Um, How do you react, by the way, when you see that? You know, when you see a statue, it's like it's an honor, but then you look at the photo and you're like... Am I ugly? You're like, I don't know. What do you say? Like, do I look like that? Uh, That's not. Uh, If you're a tennis fan, there was one of Andy Murray. Uh, I guess there's a tournament in China where they give you a statue for the winners each year. And uh, does he look like he's about to go into battle in like the 1400s to anybody else there? Uh, He's a tennis player. uh, But he looks uh, interesting. Once again, how do you react to that? I don't know. But that was just a humorous thing I thought I'd share with you. It has nothing to do with class, but there you go. Um, Tonight we're looking at uh, the second person listed in Hebrews 11, and it's Enoch. And while I haven't studied everybody in this chapter in depth yet, I would guess that this is the one person in our list that the least is said about in Scripture. Like if you were looking at all the people in this chapter who are there, this might be one of the ones you know the least about because... Very little, compared to the others, is said about him. However, we're still going to try to have a full class on him, because you won't let me talk about Noah. Uh, Remember that. Um, But there were some things that came up during the study that I thought were interesting, and I I ended up having more questions uh, as we went on. But uh, Enoch, I'll just start off by reading, uh, you're in Genesis, but here is what Hebrews 11 says about Enoch, the, the verse or two verses that we connect with him. It says, by faith... Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, and and it says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. That's what we get about Enoch in Hebrews, and... The big thing we know about Enoch is that he did not see death, that he was taken up. And we'll talk about that here in a moment. Uh, But I I want us to go back to to Genesis chapter 5. And there's really three verses or so that pertain to Enoch. But if you just look in your Bible, it's not on the the screen, but if you start reading in verse 1 of Genesis 5, if you just want to follow along with me for a second, it says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years. He had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. 
Now skip down to verse 8 for a second. Thus all the days were Seth were 912 years, and he died. Skip to verse 11. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. This section in Scripture is the and he died section. Um, it's just a generation. Hey, this guy lived this long. He had this child. He had some other children. He died. Hey, this guy, he lived this long. He had some kids. He died. So this is, this is the obituary, in a way, of Genesis at the beginning. Um, but we get a little snippet of Enoch. And in verse 21, it says, When Enoch lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. I don't think you've ever met anyone named Methuselah. Um, you probably, it's not a lot of good options for nicknames for Methuselah, by the way. What are you going to shorten that to? Meth? That doesn't sound very good. Um, so that maybe makes sense why you don't name your kid Methuselah. Um, but that is what you get about Enoch. Uh, not a whole bunch. Notice he's the seventh generation from Adam, seven was a very interesting number for Hebrews. You know, this idea of this perfect number in a way, or this complete or whole. And the seventh generation from Adam, you find Enoch. Here's one very interesting thing, though. Did you notice this? He fathered Methuselah, and it says, Enoch walked with God after he fathered him. So he lived 65 years, and apparently when he had Methuselah, he changed his life. Or his lifestyle, or he he prioritized faith. I I don't know when you got serious about your faith in your life, but have you ever met somebody, or maybe this applies to you, where having kids or getting married or a major life event kind of changed your focus? That seems to be the case for Enoch. You know, he lived sixty five years, and then after having Methuselah, it's like that's when he starts walking. That's true today. Um, when people get married. Sometimes a flip switches when they have children. A flip switches. Maybe it's a funeral, a loss. It's like sometimes those open up our hearts to truth or spiritual matters. Or we think, maybe I need to uh, think about this more as I'm raising somebody or as I'm going to be committed to someone for life. And so we, we get these big priorities. That's not everybody, but you still see it a lot today. If you have friends who are getting married, having kids... Or if they've lost, by the way, that's a great time in your life to invite them and to maybe minister to them because maybe they're thinking seriously. But that's what you see about Enoch. Um, Hey, listen, I don't know how old you are or your friends or family are, but it is never too late to start walking with God. As long as you are living, it is the perfect time to walk with God. Like today, do not harden your heart. If you got today, it's a great chance. So, you know, don't give up on everybody. Um, Just don't think because... Well, they've lived forever. You know, they, they're, they're stuck in their ways. Nope. They're, if they're alive, there's a chance that um, God can enter their heart, that they can open it up, that they can receive the gospel, hear it, and obey it. And you see that from Enoch. Um, he had a son, like we said, named Methuselah. What do you know Methuselah for? He is the oldest person in all, all of Scripture. Um, here's an interesting thing about Methuselah. This is what his name means. His name means when he is dead, judgment. Or when he is dead, it shall be sent. This idea of judgment. Now, after Methuselah's life, can you think of any event that you would consider judgment? The flood is the next chapter in Genesis. So think about this for a second. 
Enoch names his son when he is dead judgment. And if you add the math of the generations and the dates, the year Methuselah dies is the year of the flood. Um, I'm getting close. He, he might get name dropped, but I promise, I, I pinky promised all of you, we'll not go into Noah. Okay, not tonight. Um, but when he is dead, it shall be sent. And so when he dies, the flood happens. Um, the flood happened, as you maybe know, because of the wickedness of the people. This is the only scripture I'll read in Genesis 6. Don't stone me, Marty. Uh, verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was, on, uh, was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so you look to this verse, and the reason why judgment came, or the flood came, is, is this. The wickedness of man was great. Um, it says everybody, essentially, on earth was wicked, at least as far as we know, except for one and his family. And that's, as you and I know, Noah. And here's why I tell you this. Because if you back up to what we just said about his name, Jude 14, we're not going to talk about it really tonight, but Jude 14 calls Enoch a prophet. And Enoch prophetically names his son in a way when he is dead, judgment. And the day his son dies, there is, or that year there is, Judgment. And here's why I tell you this. Here's what's interesting. Um, it could be that Enoch saw the world he lived in, and it was a corrupt, corrupt time because God flooded the earth because <laughs> it was that bad. And it could be he saw all of that, and he, he prophetically said, judgment is coming. Um, and it could be that Methuselah was unfaithful. We don't have a lot of indications about his life. He was the oldest man to ever live, but we don't know. But what it does say in Genesis 6 is the hearts of man were on evil continually. And who was the only one that was found, who found favor? Noah, not Methuselah. It could be that God did not include Methuselah because he knew he wouldn't be around when the flood came. Or it could be that he was unfaithful. But here's why I tell you this. Um, I think Methuselah living to be 969 years is a testimony to the patience and grace of God. Hey, judgment is coming. God, I pray, you know, maybe it's like, hey, God, please be gracious to my son. And if he's unfaithful, think about it for a second. Judgment is coming, and how long did God wait to flood the earth? 969 years. The oldest person to ever live. That's an example of God's patience. Because when we think, when people think about the flood... How does it make some people view God? Vengeful, what do you say? Cruel. Cruel, angry, like he's a God just out there for judgment. Methuselah might be an example of, look, it was a wicked, corrupt earth, but he waited, and he waited, and he waited. And, you know, he gave Enoch's boy a chance as long as he could, or he gave the world plenty of opportunities as they preached. Or it could be that he was faithful and God still just said, I'm going to have him live a long time, and I'm going to wait as long as I can till I flood the earth. Either way, it's kind of a cool illustration of the kindness and the patience of God, and that's the same patience he has with you and I. Jesus says when, when he comes back, the world will be, it'll be like the times of Noah. 
Have you ever told yourself, by the way, um, you know, I, I don't know how my kids are going to live faithful in this society. You ever thought that to yourself? Like, I don't know how young people are going to do this for 70 years. Is it, our society is just corrupt. Um, you know, I don't know if Enoch told Mrs. Enoch, um, you know, I don't know how my kid's going to make it another 750 years. I, I don't know. Um, their society was likely far more wicked than ours, if you can imagine that. I mean, it was so wicked, he had to flood everything. And God has not come back yet, so I don't think we're there yet. I don't think there's only one righteous person living on the earth, or one family. But if they can be faithful in maybe the most wicked time that we know of, can we? You know, can our kids, can our families, can our grandkids, you know, Lord willing, great-grandkids, all of that... So, you know, I don't know how they're going to make it 70 years. Well, there's 700, 900-year-old people here who are doing it. So, uh, but after 365 years, can't remember what way to go. There you go. After 365 years, it says God took him. Um, you know, it says he was, what does your say? Uh, mine says he was not for God took him. Does anybody say anything different in their version? He was what? Translated. Translated. Okay. Um, this word for took, at least in my Bible, it kind of is this idea of he was grasped or seized. Uh, like uh, he just vanished in a way. Just imagine that one day. Um, you're just walking along and poof, like out of a cartoon. Um, I mean, this is kind of humorous and also kind of sad, but imagine you're like a son at home waiting for dad to come home. You know, Mama Enoch made, you know, his favorite meatloaf and mac and cheese. Um, I, he's a Hebrew. Maybe they didn't do meatloaf. I don't know. But um, he just never came back. Uh, he just he was gone. And we wonder, did they know, or how did they know? Maybe God told it to Methuselah. God revealed it some way. Not sure. But he was taken. He was. This, uh, this event happened where he was um, just removed from Earth. The only statement we get about his character, though, in Genesis five, is that which is highlighted. He walked with God. Uh, that's the only detail we really know of him, besides some physical ones. But he, he walked with God. This is why God took him. And that's the only inclination to his character. Uh, if you remember, Adam and Eve, they walked with God physically in the garden until they were removed. I don't think that's what it means here, that like Enoch walked with them in that way. I, I think it's referring to his lifestyle. In fact, some Hebrew dictionaries, they, they reference that word walked means behavior. It means lifestyle. Uh, it's what he lived for. So his life was for God. That's the idea of what it means behind he walked with God. So he was close with God. There was a relationship. He was a sinner because he was human, but he had apparently been reconciled to God. You know, Abel sacrificed. It would appear Enoch was someone who sacrificed. Um, and so he was considered a righteous person. And so it says he was walked with God. I won't show it to you, but in Luke 3, if it interests you, Enoch is mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus, so he's an important character that way. But if you want to flip to Hebrews 11, we get a little, we get some of this rephrased with a little addition to it. In Hebrews 11, it's verse 5 and 6. If you notice the end of Genesis 5.24, and we're going to look at it in Hebrews 11.2, it says, And he was not. For God took him. So he's living and now he's not. God took him. And then you get to Hebrews 11. And I'll connect here in a second. But it says, 
Uh, By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found. Um, So the reason he was given for being taken up was he walked with God and so that he should not see death. Um, What does it mean when it says he should not see death? That's a great question. Um, It might seem simple to us at first, but as I studied some people's thoughts, uh, I had a few questions like, was he taken to heaven? Uh, Jesus said, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven, John 3, verse 13. So did he, was he there with God, or was he taken to just paradise, where he awaits the resurrection? Uh, another interesting point is in Hebrews eleven thirteen. If you look, someone read Hebrews eleven thirteen. All these people were living by faith until what? Did this guy die? <laughs> Not according to us. So it's just an interesting thing. Of all these people listed up to verse 13, he says, all these died in faith. So is it that he didn't see death like we do? Is it that God took him and just he didn't have to experience that, that, you know, that end? And God just put him in paradise immediately? Was he in heaven? We don't know. But clearly he was taken up and he didn't experience it the way every other human does. So... I don't tell that to you to confuse you a whole bunch, hopefully. I don't tell that to you to question it. I just, there's, there's things there, yeah. You know, there's another person who didn't see death, too. Um, do you know who that is? Yeah, there's Elijah. There's some stuff, you know, uh, like you said with John, and he had these visions. Um, we don't know exactly. We do know there's going to be a resurrection, and we assume these people are going to have a bodily resurrection just like you and I. And so that's cool. But I tell that to confuse you, because I like to confuse you and make you ask a bunch of questions that maybe we don't have answers. What, Marty, what do you always say? If only... Yeah, one more verse. But we don't get that, so that's okay. Um, yeah. Enoch was taken to heaven, okay? Yep. Now the flood come along and wiped out his whole family, right? Well, I mean, Noah would have been his kin, and so they would have survived. Methuselah could have died in the flood or could have died before the flood. We don't know about all his, the other sons and daughters, though, so there's some questions there. But... Um, Maybe. Don't know. <laughs> Say, if Enoch's family was wiped out, he couldn't be a progenitor of Christ down the line. Hmm. I'm not sure I understand what you mean there. He wouldn't approach... Say that again? If his family was wiped out? Oh, the genealogy? Yeah. Okay, yeah, that, that's true. And so, there's Noah. God's working to preserve the line of Christ. That's a good point. Um if you keep looking here, it says uh, he was taken as he was, or before he was taken, he was commended having pleased God. Uh, that was the reason he should not see death. And here's where it's interesting because you look at verse 5, and verse 5 seems to be the only statement made about Enoch. But if you take the word please and you connect it to verse 6, I think you see that verse 6 is a statement that applies to all the people, maybe, of Hebrews 11, or it does apply to all the people of Hebrews 11. But it's stated right after talking about Enoch. So we can clearly apply it. 
to Enoch. It says, before he was taken, he was committed as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. So you get this idea that Enoch lived without faith. Because without faith, there was no way uh, God would have taken him. As we look at faith, which by the way, we'll stop for a second. That's all we get on Enoch. That's it. I know. They said, teach 45-minute Bible class on that. I said, thanks. Appreciate that. Um, but, no, that's, that's all you get. Now, the Jewish person might have, they might have had more stories about him or traditional things passed on. Uh, but that's all we understand. I still think there's enough here that we can talk about it a little bit. And I want us to look at Hebrews 11.6. What is faith or what do we learn about faith from Enoch? Well, a few things. One, if verse 6 connects to Enoch, we learn first, I think, without faith, it is impossible to please him. God does not use the word impossible very much. We don't have a God who, who talks a lot about what's possible or impossible. So when he uses that word, it's, maybe we should pay attention to it. You know, with man, this is not possible. But with God, all things are possible. Here he says, without faith, yeah, it is impossible. To please God. Um, there's a lot of verses that, that reinforce this idea. Uh, Habakkuk 2.4, that's referenced two other times in the New Testament. The righteous shall live by faith. Um, Ephesians 2.8, you have been saved by grace through... Yeah, you've heard some of these. Even John 3.16, for God so loved the world, He gave His only Son that those who... Yeah, the word believe and the word faith are the same word in their language. You know, we make it two different things. But like even here in verse 6 of Hebrews 11, when it says uh, those who would draw near to God must believe, that is the same word believe as the word faith. So there's not a difference there. There's maybe a, a difference in tense, but it's the same word. So without faith, it is impossible uh, to please God. Therefore, since we have been justified by, justified by faith, we have peace with God. Romans 5. Uh, faith has always been necessary to please God. That has never changed. We sometimes look at the Old and New Testament and think there are different ways to please God or these covenants were greatly different. Sure, there were some mechanical things that changed. Sure, Jesus' sacrifice is better and perfect blood that lasts for eternity. But the idea that faith is what pleased God has always been the same. This idea of justified through faith. That's been consistent throughout Scripture. It's how those of old were justified. It's how we are justified through faith. Um, And it's necessary. That means a few things for you and I. I think, one, it means our works will not save us. He does not say, "Without, without your works, it is impossible to please God. No, without your trust, it is impossible to please Him. Um. You can do all the great things or good things, all the actions. You can check off all the lists and the boxes and the behaviors. And you come up to God and if there's not a genuine trust there in Him and who He is and the work that He has done to save you and all of that, it's not going to do you much. Because without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Right. And, and, and the word faith, too, it includes that. But it also includes, and if you're going to be talking about this, so. <laughs> So, no, I was going to say, this, to me this says two things. Partly it's that. And as I studied and listened to people preach, man, they hammered this, right? Salvation through faith. Salvation through faith. You can't do enough good. True. But when you read Hebrews 11, there's an emphasis that faith is active. Is that what you're going to get at? Um, 
it's not just, yes, you have to have a trust. You can do things without a real belief or trust. It's not going to help. Um, but without the action or the lifestyle or the actually walking with God part, that's not real faith either. So there's, there's a balance there um, that without faith it's impossible to please him. Because um, if you look at his faith, what showed he had, what showed he had faith? The walking with God part. There was something there about his life and what he did that showed the faith. You ever play the game Trust Fall? You know what I'm talking about? You're like, no, that's a kid thing. Anyone want to volunteer? um, But no, like if you go get a 12-year-old and you say you want to play Trust Fall, and you know what that game is, like they stand there and they look this way, and you're behind them, and you say you just fall back, you have your arms out, and I'll catch you. And what happens is you do it, and you'll have one kid who goes, it's like he... He doesn't really want to fall back. What does that tell you about him? He doesn't, he doesn't trust you. Or maybe he starts to fall back and he stops. Or like he's kind of looking the whole time. It's like there's, he's trying to trust, but there's no action to show he actually trusts. You know it when they just fall back. That's the idea with our lives. Our lives, our behavior, our actions show whether we trust or not. Did you have your hand up? Yeah. You were looking at... And Hebrews says that uh, that after God translated, or before his translation, that it was his testimony. So you got to be doing something to make a testimony. Yeah, it, it was, was doing, doing something. And that's why, you know, I mentioned the, you know, with your works won't do it. There has to be a genuine trust because that's true. But a lot of people emphasize that to the point, and I keep reading Hebrews 11, and I think there's more than just your genuine trust that of what God has done. There's also a life that's lived. And in our world today, there's a lot of people who bought into this idea that your faith is a mental belief and nothing else has to happen. And that does not fit with what faith looks like in this chapter or with Enoch's life. There was something about his life that testified to that was his faith. That's the substance. You saw it. Shannon. All this whole list, these people obey something that's been given to them. Look, Wall of Jericho is the one for me. Mm-hmm. March around it once a day for six days, then seven times on the sick. Even when God tells you to do something that's crazy, yeah. it makes no sense. But because of this blind trust you have, and you go ahead and do it, you obey, yeah. then you get the reward. There's, There's a lot of... Every person has things in common. Uh, so I don't want to share with you the same application every week, because that would maybe be re- like just repetitive. Um, but they're, they all have something in common. And one is obedience. They took God at his word. Whatever God's word was, they heard that and they listened to it. And that's how the, what they acted upon. I mean, they all have that in common. There is an obedience uh, part with faith. Yes? And the context, you said it, but it's inside. You walked with God. Well, okay. But he walked with God during a period where no one walked with God, apparently. Yeah. Or he was in the minority. It's one thing to walk with God. We're all together here. We're all walking with God. That's fine. Yeah. But it's not so easy when you get back to work or wherever you are. You know what I mean? To be walking with God and society is going the other way. So yeah. This also he, speaks well. He's not li- it doesn't seem like he's living in a huge community of trust in God. He, they seem to be minorities. Yeah. I got a book on Indian religions in the United States. And faith is the oldest religion among all the Indian tribes. All the Indian tribes believe that heaven is up, always up, 
and uh, even in South America, where these natives are, are in the jungle, they asked this one, and they said, what happens to you after you die? And he said, we go above the trees. So it's faith. Faith is the oldest religion that you can have. There's a, there's a lot of ideas for God, for sure, and about eternity. And uh, here, he, his trust is in God. And this ties into, okay, he was faithful, he walked with God. What does exactly that mean? Well, let's break that next verse down. First, it says, hey, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Okay, well, what is that? Well, one, he says, you must believe that he exists. Okay, you must trust that he exists. I, I think we could emphasize two words there. One is he there's this idea that any God will do it for you today. Like if you just believe in a God, you ever heard people talk about that? Like I'm a person of faith. It's like, why well, I, be, I believe in this idea of God or a God or the concept of God, not a specific God, but yeah, this idea of God, I kind of believe that or something along those lines. Um, when he says you must believe that he exists, he's talking about this God, the father, the, the one that would become the son incarnate. He's talking about the spirit, this Trinitarian God. That's the God he's saying you have to believe he exists. Now, these individuals didn't understand all of these different aspects of God at the time, as it was revealed later. Um, but he says, you must believe he exists. The God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, that God. That's the God who can save you. But he also had to believe not only that he exists, but that he exists. That he's real. That it's reality. It's not a concept or an idea, but that he is an active, living God. He's personal. That's the God who can save. That's the God uh, that you need to trust in. And so this idea that just to believe in a God or type of God or possibility of God, that is, that's not what we're talking about here when we say you must believe he exists. Um, no, it's you've got to trust who he is. You've got to trust that's the God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Um, you gotta, it has to start there. Uh, yes? I mean, the idea of faith and works... The way, I, the way I see it, you said one of them. You said, you know, we know faith without works is dead, so some people believe. Mental is sin, I believe Jesus Christ said, God, I'm saved. And then and the, other, the other extreme is, is works. That is, I believe and I must have works. And so we look at ourselves and we say, we, we have works. We're here on a Wednesday night. We've done this, this, and this. And our danger is, is we know when we see our sin, we say, yeah, but I'm, do, I'm doing this, this, this. I, I'm going to make it. I'm doing this. Well, that's works-based. What's faith-based is, yes, I have these works, and that helps my faith, but I actually interreflect, see my sin, realize that I'm not going to make it without trusting in Christ crucified, because not only do I need to save me, but I need for my sanctification process all, every single day, constantly trying to, you know, constantly him working in us to change us, not us pulling up our bootstraps and fixing it, every bit of it and, and making it on our own. So there's two dangers or yeah. Heaven and just mental sin. Yeah, and that's that's a hard thing sometimes. You can struggle with either or. Um, James would say it. it uh, when you see your own sin, is when you have to trust in Christ. Yeah, nothing we can do is good enough. James would say it. You know, uh, faith without works is dead. It's this idea of there has to be something that proves your faith, but it doesn't mean what you do causes you to be saved or makes you good enough. And so that's just a it's a thing I think everyone struggles with on one side or the other in a way. We have to find that. That kind of, I don't want to say middle ground in a way, but we have to understand the differences. I hate to do this. I'm going to keep moving on just for time's sake. Okay. Um, 
We'll come back at the end. I'll speed run it, okay, Marty? We'll get to you. Um, second, this idea that not only you have to believe he exists, but you have to believe he rewards. And I, I think it rewards those who seek him. We'll get to that. But Enoch believed that God rewards. And I just want you to understand, what does that tell you about Enoch's view of God? Did Enoch view God as a God who is just angry and judgmental and wanting to destroy? No. He believed God was personal. He believed God was forgiving, was loving, was gracious. He believed God would provide salvation for all the people who would seek him and pursue him. And many people today view God differently. They think God's unknowable. They think he's impersonal. And they think he just walks around angry all the time. Yeah, yeah, he's faithful um, all, all the time. God wants to save. And I don't know if we understand this because I don't know how many of us came to Jesus from another belief system. But that makes Christianity and Jesus different than every other religion there is on the planet. That everyone else, the gods they believe in, they're not personable the way Jesus is. They are not gracious. Love is not their basic um, mindset or view. They're angry. There's not a lot of grace or any grace or forgiveness for sin. It's what sets apart Christianity. I think you've said this in recent classes or sermons, right? The difference between Jesus and every other God is Jesus is full of grace. There's grace to be found in Christ. And he rewards. And I hope we never lose sight of that. He's a forgiving, loving God. Um, And Enoch viewed him that way. Um, He's a God who saves. I mean, just think about all the rewards you and I have in Christ. Of course, the first one we think of is eternity. That city with foundations that he'll mention in this chapter. But then the joy... Not the temporary happiness, but the eternal joy and the peace, the love, the patience, the kindness, his spirit. I mean, all these different ideas that we get. He's a rewarder. And don't lose sight of that. That when we live by faith, he's a rewarder of that. And then this last part, what you learn about faith as we connect this to Enoch. He rewards those who seek him. Enoch was a man marked as one who walked with God and was pleasing to him. Um, and as Mike was mentioning, think about the corrupt time he lived in. I mean, we can't even comprehend it. If you think our leaders are bad, or if you think our government's corrupt, or if you think, you know, terrible things like murder and things of that nature happen today, um, if you look at online or on TV and you go, and you're shocked by what you see, imagine that time where it's so wicked God has to flood the entire creation. And he walked with God the whole time. I, I wonder, would I... Would I be able to live in that time and not be corrupted? How much would that society influence me? Just think about all the sin you, you might accumulate in that society when you're alone in a way or a minority. And so, but yet he sought God. Enoch walking with God presupposes a few things. It tells us he was reconciled to God. Whatever his sin was, he must have properly responded to it. Abel sacrificed, and we can assume Enoch did too. Walking with God tells us Enoch was not an enemy to God, but a friend. Um, So he must have responded to his sin. He must have lived a transformed life. He had some moral shape to him, like some moral fitness. He was imperfect, but listen, God doesn't just walk with anybody. It's not like he can just live however he wants and God, you know, you can live an unholy life and God's going to fellowship that. Light does not fellowship with darkness. So he, he must have lived a pretty good moral life. Um, Enoch to have faith. Who what? Who taught Enoch to have faith? 
Um, you just don't walk down the road one day. Yeah. Uh, it could have been passed on from fathers. As a patriarchal age, God spoke through the fathers. God could have spoke to him. Uh, we don't have all the details for that, but it's a, it's a good question. Um, but he had a relationship with God. There was a closeness, and he had some moral shape to him. But he sought God. Um, so in his lifestyle, that's he followed him, and he lived by that faith. You saw it in his actions and his attitudes and his behaviors. Um, if faith pleases God and God rewards those who seek him, we can see that an aspect of faith is seeking God. Listen, you can't please somebody without trying. Husbands, think about your wife. You're probably not going to please her without trying. You've got to put some effort in, don't you? Like, and that goes the other way around, too. We're only going to please God if we, we have to put some effort into it. <laughs> There's got to be effort. And so Jesus said, hey, ask and it shall be given. Knock and it will open. Seek and you'll find. He says, hey, I reward those who seek um, since you have been raised with Christ, the beginning of Colossians 3, seek the things that are above where Christ is. God rewards those who seek. And so in our life, there needs to be an active nature about us who seek out God in our life. Um, we seek Him out for reconciliation. We seek Him out to live a life pleasing to Him. And we seek to know Him more. I want to know Him more. And there's a few questions I ask myself. I think we can ask ourselves. Um, well, those were the four lessons. Forgot that. Um, but here's some questions I think we can ask ourselves. Who or what do I trust in for my salvation? Do I put my trust in myself? Um, is it all about me or do I put it all wholly in him? Here's a, one I, I think about. Would my life be characterized by saying I walked with God? If I died today and God wrote me down in a book or someone wrote about me, could they say he walked with God? And you, I can't answer that for you. I can answer that for me. Um, but what would they say about you? That Hey, that Mark, he walked with God. Like He, he followed. He sought him, all of that. Um, his life was, was dedicated. The life he lived was for Jesus. And then one more is, hey, who or what am I seeking? We can come to seek God and be rewarded for being reconciled, you know, being saved. But hey, Christian, who or what am I seeking still today? Am I seeking pleasure? Am I seeking my own benefit, my own glory? Uh, am I seeking status or power or money or happiness? Like, what is it that I'm pursuing in this life? That could be a who or a what. But shouldn't it be Jesus? That in my life, if I live by faith, I'm seeking Him. Like, that's my first and foremost thing I want to pursue. I want to know Him more. I want to be closer to Him. I want to live like Him more. What are we seeking? You know, in our life, we have so many things that are flashy that we can go pursue. And Enoch's story is, despite all the flashiness and the sin around me, I chose to pursue God first. Now, I sought first God. Um, and I think it turned out pretty good for Enoch. And so we won't get taken up like that. But when we live by faith, God will reward us. And God will uh, keep us from experiencing death forever. And we get to live forever with God. Marge, you had a comment. We got... 30, 45, 60 seconds. Have at it. Well, you just bring up a lot of thoughts when you talk to them. And, and in that, that idea of seeking God, I think of that as opposed to seeking religion mm-hmm. or seeking comfort. You're, you're, seeking, you're really seeking Him, the person. And with human beings, you can manipulate people into thinking you're interested in them, but you can't manipulate God. You really have to be after him 
And I think that's what Jesus was talking about. Thomas said, show us the Father and it will suffice us. And remember what Jesus said, have you been so long with me? If you've not seen the Father, here I am. I am the Father. Yeah. And just a historical note, if I did the math right, because I made a note in there, so I must have done the math some years ago and I've forgotten all about it. But Enoch had Methuselah and then Methuselah had Lamech. By the time Lamech was born, Adam was still around for about 56 more years, if I did the math right. And for me, that just puts kind of a historical perspective on it. All this stuff is happening and Adam is still there yeah. up, up until 56 years of Lamech's life. Can, can you imagine the life insurance policies? Like, man, those bad boys. Um, a lot of, there's a lot of interesting thoughts. I, I wish we spent more time on the end stuff. But Enoch's a small, small story in terms of how much is said. But it's a great, great example of faith. So for you and I, we have to have faith. We have to trust. because the only way it pleases him. But we have to seek. We have to seek him, the one who truly exists, the real one true God. And, and, uh, then, and live by that. And God rewards that. And so... That's a little bit of what you learned from Enoch. I appreciate you being here. If you had a question or a comment and I couldn't get to it, come talk to me. So thank you.